Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Today it's just me, Kevin, going solo. I got to sit down with Aaron Torres from The Athletic and Fox Sports Radio, and we just did all thing college basketball. So if you don't really care about March Madness and you don't want to nerd out with us, then this probably isn't the episode for you. But first, me and Dad sat down to give an update to the leaderboards for the Just Press Play bracket challenge and then we jump right into it with Aaron so thanks for listening and uh cue the beat play pod here with you dad uh who can you go over with us dad who's just who stands out who's doing really good who's at the top of the leaderboards well obviously you got you got rodney down from uh southeast arkansas uh he's leading with uh, a total of 55 points um his champion villanova is still alive he does have three of his final four teams out and i guess we'll get into that more in a minute but so our top our top let's see five we have Rodney, Roy Jester, Roy J, Sweaty Basketballs, Snake Perlman, and D-Ho 9211. All right. And well, real real quick shout to old Tony at Bonehammer 1 is number six. He's, so. at, he's right on the outside looking in at the final four? Yeah. Or final on the top five? Yeah. Well, and that's what, what really, and I want people to, one, like always, if you want to double check, look at our score, look at your bracket, and if you have any discrepancies, let us know. With it's we we've had it go we've had it gone through multiple filters and we've checked it, but it still wouldn't be surprised if we're wrong. We'll hand up, we'll take it, and we'll fix it. But the, what what's interesting to me is when we get down to like you're saying here. So Rodney's sitting at one, but with with Arizona, UNC, and Michigan State out, losing three Final Four teams is gonna is gonna be tough because that's points that he won't be able to make up down the road. Right. And you look at Sweaty Basketballs, as of right now, has his champion still alive, and all Final Four teams still alive. So there's a lot of points still available for that person. Exactly. You know because what you what you got to look at in the second round, and I'm not sure how it'll be on the website, but. The, the number of wins in the most recent round is how many teams you still have alive. And so if all those teams win, you would score points. And as we talked about earlier, they, you know, they double every round. So in the next round, let's see, it was one in the first round, two in the second. It'll be four for the Thursday and Friday games and then eight points for the Saturday-Sunday games. So basketball's 
is really looking good with the with his champion and, and all his Final Four teams available. Um, and he's just one point behind mm. the leader. So there's a good chance that Rodney looks good now. I, I don't think he's going to be in the catbird seat when it ends. But So enjoy this. Enjoy this, Rodney. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Jake the Snake coming in at coming in at four i i'm just gonna go out on a limb and guess that my boy jake hasn't watched just a ton of college basketball and that's the crazy thing about this turn we say this every year and i'm sure it gets redundant but it seems like this year more so than others has been just absolutely bonkers i mean i'm, I'm glad you said i'm that. out of like three out of four final four teams i think like it, it's nuts it's been wild it looks like to me the two teams that are really kicking people in the ass today is Virginia. One, I'm sure no one picked the 16 seed to beat the number one overall seed because that's just nuts. But I think a lot of people had Virginia making it to the Final Four and losing the Final Four team day one. It's pretty tough. And then North Carolina seems like I see that in a lot of Final Four picks. Because that bottom bracket was kind of up for the taking, I don't think many people were big on Xavier, on the one seed in that bracket. Right. So I think, and a lot of people, the other high seeds in that bracket were Gonzaga, who's a West Coast team that people probably don't get to see much, and then Michigan, who they really got hot as of late. So people might not have known. North Carolina is just a team you know about. You see them all year long, and I believe only two people. And our entire bracket picked North Carolina not to get to the Sweet 16 and picked uh, A&M to upset them. Yeah. And which I don't even know. Once again, I don't know if we call that an upset because A&M didn't. It wasn't like a buzzer beater. They beat them like a tied up goat. Yeah. But <laughs> in our in our bracket pool, we had Lane pick A&M to go on to the Sweet 16, which. I'm going to go ahead and let everyone know that's a homer pick by Lane. Yeah, I was going to go and homer. Then, <laughs> yeah, but, hey, you got it right. And then Sydney Shane, she picked A&M to go on, too. Hey, Sid- and interesting. Sydney Shane made a good uh, increase. She's, a, she's sitting at 19 now, up from 33 after Friday night's game. So that was a big jump. It was funny, that A&M game. So... I know it's funny that Lane had him going to the Sweet 16 because we talked on the phone before the tournament, and he was just like, I, it sounded like as an A&M fan, he was trying to get me to talk him out of not buying into A&M because he, like me with Arkansas, knows knows he probably has him going too far. Right. And when we talked, we I said, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put any faith in him. I could probably see him losing first round for sure, second round. But I will say when I've seen him good – and seeing Robert Williams and Tyler Davis down low play to their abilities, they look like two lottery picks. And then DJ Hawk can light it up. But that I haven't seen that since, like, November, like the very beginning <laughs> of the season. And lo and behold, they put it all together against North Carolina. And, man, well, yeah, the upsets dominant. The upsets of the higher seeds have, have, like you kind of alluded to, have not been buzzer beaters by any means. They've been – tied up goat beatings like you said it's terrible yeah buffalo beat arizona by 20 plus virginia lost by 20 plus north carolina lost by 20 plus i mean they're 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 not even close well and i just looked by the way so of the champions picked in our bracket 25 percent of the people in our bracket picked villanova 
So that was by And they look far. good. They look good. They look good, and I happen to own them in a Calcutta, so I'm a little excited about that. Um, but 41% of the champions are out. In other words, if we had one pick Alabama, six pick Arizona, so on and so forth, one pick Bucknell. Um, I don't know <laughs> what's going on there. Um, pass the peace pipe. But um, <laughs> at any rate, 41% of the champions uh, picked in our – podcaster or in our bracket challenge are already out of the tournament so um kind of crazy I, this is a crazier year than usual kevin i really i think so and i guess i feel like i say that every year but it seems more well, just true. it seems like the top like the the best of the best and the <clears throat> middle and the worst there's not a huge gap between the top and the worst it's any team has a chance, and that's the thing is in basketball in this tournament, a UMBC gets hot, hits 12 threes in a game. They have a shot at beating Virginia, not only beating them, but beating them bad. Well, and didn't we – did we talk about this the other day? But, uh, you know, you've got teams that are middle-seeded teams or not Division One. Anyway, they don't have a lot of one-and-done players. So they've got experienced ball players playing – uh, some teams with one and done players and mm-hmm. I just think that experience is making it a, a more the tournament have more parity yeah I, I, I agree we're getting there's so much young players in you're getting guys these 18 year olds who aren't quite ready for it and are just young and immature and haven't experienced it and they're going up against maybe a guy that's slightly less uh, skill wise as them they're not quite up to par skills mm-hmm. but they've been playing college ball for three years this might be their second or third tournament they know what it's like to play thursday night come back and have to prepare for a team on saturday that you haven't even had a chance to really scout for and play yeah. another game like they've been there done that this isn't new to them and these other guys they a year ago they were playing in their high school state championship already done with the season a month ahead of time so yeah it just changes things up. I wanted to throw out a little a little update on how uh, if you're if you're wanting to just beat the guys us on the pod, you're one, probably doing pretty good. <laughs> one, it's not that hard, so it's pretty easy to do. But we'll look at LJ is at sitting at seventy one is what I have him at. Okay. Not so hard. No, or it might be the update. <clears throat> he might be at sixty eight now, but I, I have do him see at 68. that. I do see that he is out his champion. He had Xavier winning the championship in mind, so I don't think he has much of a shot. You're sitting, I got you at 56. At 56, but Arizona's out, of course. And And I'm sitting right now at 39, up three spots from 42 is what I got. But as you said, I I have Arizona. So that that's hurting me. I actually did. So, and maybe th- this might need to go up to go to the committee. And I think we are the committee, so I guess we can just vote <laughs> in favor of ourselves. But I have two brackets. I filled out. Kevin one is my bracket that I really it was kind of my. I made my bracket, and that was one I was going to go with. But I wanted to have Arizona. I really was trying to talk myself into Arizona as a champion. So I made two brackets with they're they're pretty similar, but one I picked a few different upsets and pick Arizona to win it. And the other one I stuck with my Homer pick and pick Duke to win it. So yeah. that bracket's sitting at 30. I still don't think it has, it's, it's at least better, but I still don't think it has a chance at creeping into the, comp, the conversation for winning. And I think 
Is there yeah. another is there another lift bracket in here or no? Well, yeah, there is. It, look up towards the top. You want to look up towards the top there, Kevin, for uh, about number uh, eight. Uh, it's called Dignan. Okay, see, I was looking for some kind of lifter or something. Okay, I see. No, yeah, you're Dignan up here. Is you're my, in the top ten. I'm in the top ten. Oh, my problem is I had Michigan State to win it, um, and I've got uh, Virginia, Xavier, and Michigan State all out. So I think that's about as high as Dignan's going to get. It's only it's only downhill from here. I mean, it's dropping. Yeah, yeah. You know, the uh, what is it? The view never changes uh, for anybody but the lead dog. And I'm not, I'm not going to be the lead dog uh, in this race at all. So, um, so yeah, we I did put in two, and my my second one does look a little bit better, but that's as good as it's going to get. Man, it's just, you know, what I think I think I might I may have learned from from this year's tournament is next year. So the bracket came out on Sunday. And there was multiple games where I just went, wow, I can't wait for these matchups to happen. They weren't there yet, but I just was ready to see them. And I think next year I'm going to look at these possible matchups that I want to see and just go, okay, what? why is this not going to happen? And find the reason why it won't happen. Because the Michigan State-Duke matchup that I feel like everyone was ready to watch, we're not going to see that because Michigan State couldn't hold up there in. The Arizona-Kentucky matchup that we all wanted to watch. Then the winner of that to play the Virginia game. We thought, man, that, that bracket's going to be exciting. Nope. No doubt. Scratch that. Yeah. And then Purdue. I wanted to see Purdue get up to play Villanova. And now it looks like Isaac Haas, their big man, he's going to try to play, but he has a broken elbow. I don't know. I don't know if you saw. He oh. he put a big brace on and tried to play last week, but I it was saw, not NCAA but he clear. Extend his- yeah, he couldn't extend his elbow at all. But he's now going to try to play. He's going to. Well, he wants to play, but he needs to put. He can. He can play if he can find this brace that basically, like you're saying, it won't let him extend his elbow. But at least he can still be out there and play. But he's got to get it cleared through NCAA. It's a big. It's like one of those huge Gronk braces in, in basketball. Elbows and arms get swung around. I mean, that thing's going to connect with someone's head. So it's got to get cleared and. I don't see how it will because I saw him try it on. The thing was ginormous. It looked like a bionic arm. Oh, I know the kid wants to play. I mean, wouldn't you? God, he's a I, senior. You know. I mean, he's he went from a skinny freshman to now he's a seven foot two and he's a thick guy, strong guy. I mean, mm-hmm. been through those downs and this Purdue team is really good. And now, round one, he hits his elbow on the court. That that's got to be heartbreaking. And I was listening to some people talk about it on one of the halftime shows and. If he can go and it's not jeopardizing anything in his future, let I know I know as a basketball player I've never been nearly as skilled as anybody playing in the NCAA tournament. But just as a basketball player and as a competitor, I know the guy wants to get out there. And if he can get out there and help and not hurt the team, I'm letting him go because I just you know he's dying to get yeah. out there for his guys. Yeah, I didn't know he was a senior. That's that's tough. Gosh, yeah. I guess my last little observation before we before we uh, move on from the score updates is it keep an eye, keep an eye on your bracket. The main thing, if you're if you're wanting to know if you still have a shot, it's going to be like we said, if your champion's still alive and you have some teams, maybe you're you still got quite a few elite eight teams in or final four teams in. It's all about the way our scores work. You get more points as it goes, so you're. You're in mm-hmm. it because, like you said, Rodney's at one, but he's not going to gain those points for the final four teams he lost. So if you have all four right, there's a lot of points that you can 
gain some ground. So, yeah, exactly. I want like I think we alluded to earlier, but to me, basketball's probably is sitting in the best seat right now. Oh, Snake Pearlman's probably got a good shot because he's got you know three Final Four teams left plus his champion. So that's what you got to look at. How many Final Four teams do you have alive, and is your champion still alive? And if you are, especially if you have a different champion than the people above you, you've got a really good shot. Wait, so you're saying there's a chance? <laughs> so I'm saying <laughs> there's a chance, not for any of us, <laughs> Kevin, uh, but. No, not for the guys, but for the others. Yeah, the the, uh, the self-proclaimed experts aren't doing so hot. So the prognosticators are uh, just going to be reporting the scores from this point <laughs> forward, pretty much. All right, and without further ado, let's get to the interview with Aaron Torres. All right, so today joining the Just Press Play Pod, we got Aaron Torres coming on. We're going to talk some uh, talk some hoops. Try to recap. The nuts that was I, I I swear every week every year we say this year is crazier than ever but I this this year really does seem for the first time ever none of the top four teams in one region even made it past the first weekend. Mm-hmm. What I, I guess let's start right there at the top of the bracket. I mean that that loss Virginia had to UMBC. I hate. I've heard a couple of people say that. Oh, I knew Virginia wasn't a good team, or they always do that. That's why I didn't want to pick Virginia to go far. Virginia was a really, really good team this year. If you watched them, well, Kevin, I don't, listen. It's your show. I don't want to disagree with you off the top here. <laughs> yeah, come on, come but, on, give it, give it to me. All right, good. He, no, here's the deal: is I don't disagree, and I, I do think going 31 and two or whatever they were in the regular season in the ACC is an incredible accomplishment. I don't want to take anything away from them. I don't want to discredit them, but I do think that first of all, there's a difference between a great regular season team and a team that can do it in the postseason. We see it in all sports, you know, like just as an example, the Minnesota Vikings great during the regular season this year, but you kind of knew you were like, ah, when they get to the end, you know, when they get to the playoffs, is Case Keenum really going to be that guy? And like, look, and and I should also preface by saying anyone who's claiming that they knew that Virginia was going to lose to UMBC, you know, is lying out of their you know what right um but i do think and this has been my criticism on my podcast the aaron torres sports podcast and other radio interviews and podcast interviews that i've done is you know i I think that the national media and i include myself in it and as a general rule they're just so quick to just gush about tony bennett and i think it's okay to criticize him because my whole thing is this, Kevin, is that, you know, part of coaching, if we want to call Tony Bennett a great coach, then coach. And I look across the country, right? So, like, let's just use – you can use any example. Mike Krzyzewski, it's fun to kind of pick at Duke and, oh, Duke this. Mike Krzyzewski's changed his starting lineups. Mike Krzyzewski's played more zone defense this year. You know, Kentucky has had different guys in and out of the lineup all year. Some guys are healthy. Some guys are hurt. This and that. Nevada is down to seven scholarship players. Eric Musselman's finessing that lineup to get as much as he can out of those guys. And I'm watching Virginia on Friday night. And they're running the same offense that takes 26 seconds to get a shot when they're down by 12 with four minutes to go. And so I'm not saying that Tony Bennett's not a great 
coach, but I think part of coaching is being able to adjust, being able to see in a game what works, what doesn't work, what, you know, what lineups work, what don't, what don't work, you know, what off, you know, adjusting your, your offensive scheme. And I'm not sitting here and saying that I'm an expert X's and O's guy. And I would have, Oh, if I would have run this play, like I'm not that guy, I'm not going to claim that. But I do think that this loss falls solely on Tony Bennett. I was talking to somebody on Sunday morning or Saturday morning after the loss And they said, look, man, part of the NCAA tournament, you are going to see so many different styles, so many different types of teams, and you got to be able to do it more than just your way. And so I do think it's totally fair to to criticize Tony Bennett and to just say point blank, like, you know, that guy was not able to adjust, never, as best I could tell, even tried to adjust what they were doing, even as they fall down 8, 10, 12 in the second half for what ended up being a 20-point final deficit or 20 or so point final deficit. I don't know exactly what the number was well and i that part i will i agree with i do think the, the problem with virginia is that defense is really good and they play that inside out where they're just gonna you're, you're not getting anything inside and they're gonna play the odds that you're probably not gonna hit the shots but like you're saying umbc was hitting the shots you have to, at some point you got to change up what you're doing and then all of a sudden like you're also you're you're down 12. You can't run the same offense that takes 20 seconds each possession. Possession. You just you got to change well, something up, and that, that's that's the problem with Tony Bennett. And I think he's going to have in the future is the tournament. You're gonna you're gonna have a game where teams are hitting, and you got to be able to change and adapt and react. And he's good when he's good, well, but just, I don't know how he changes. Well, just think about all the different teams that you can see over the course of the tournament, right? You could see a team like Texas A&M that just beat the brakes off of UNC with three, four, you know, NBA caliber frontline players. You could see a team like Houston, which is all guard oriented. You could see a team like Virginia that wants to take 30 seconds off the shot clock. You can see a team like Nevada that has everyone on the court can handle the ball, shoot, pass, dribble, whatever. And that's part of the difficulty of winning this tournament is that you have to be able to adjust on the fly. And that's why, by the way, you know, a guy like coach K has five national titles. It's why Jim, uh, Jim Calhoun, I went to UConn. I was there for the Calhoun era. I'm dating myself on how old I am, but like, (laughs) you know, like that guy, I mean, he won national championships playing a bunch of different ways with a bunch of different personnel. And so I do think that this has to be, and I hope it is. And like, I don't say I hope it is like I like Tony Bennett like needs to change like he's 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 still at the end of the day taking Virginia to places that frankly they've never really been as a program before but look I mean we can go back now I would argue you could make a compelling case that they've had about as in an embarrassing three or four year run in the NCAA tournament as any program that I can remember so if you remember first of all Three years ago, four years ago now, they lose as a number two seed to number seven Michigan State. That's kind of excusable. Michigan State makes the Final Four. That's the year they have Denzel Valentine, right. uh, this and that. Then the following year, they make the Elite Eight. To their credit, they make they make it to the Elite Eight, and they just have a complete meltdown against Syracuse. And again, it was Syracuse getting – and again, this was Jim Beheim coaching his team. Two coaches that can team. change and react, yeah. Exactly. Took his team out of that 2-3 zone, pressed Virginia. Virginia completely fell apart. And then last year, by the way, nobody remembers it. They lost to Florida in a game where they scored 39 points. (laughs) 
I mean, that's a pretty bad four-year run. And you can say, well, you know, it's to his credit that that team has been a number one or number two seed in three of those seasons. That's a bad four-year run, man. It's hilarious that you bring that up because there's two ways to look at Virginia. You can look at them as the past four years or so, four to five years, they've had as good a run as anybody in the regular season. But it's not it's not coming over to the postseason. And that what, that's where you make your money is what you do. Like Bayheim. Sure, he's 11 seed and he's barely getting in, but look at him. It seems like the last three years, if he gets in, he has a shot at least making it to the Sweet 16 because yep. he's a good coach. No, and that's and that's totally fair, and that's a great point. Is like, would you rather be? You know, it's a, it's and it's a great hypothetical, right? Like, would you rather be Bayheim, who missed the tournament last year, barely got in this year, had to play a play-in game, but also made the Final Four in, in 2016, I guess it was, and now has a team that's in the Sweet 16, or would you rather be Tony Bennett, that's been awesome in the regular season? I mean, I don't know that there's an easy answer, and and I do agree. Like, like, yeah. And like any interview that I do, your show, whoever's show, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, Tony Bennett's not a good coach. He doesn't know what he's doing. Like, that's not what I'm saying at all. But I am saying is that the great coaches, the ones that, you know, we, you know, and there's a reason, by the way, that a coach K that a John Calipari, that a bill self, you know, is can, they're still considered the best of the best, even though some of these younger guys may have kind of in theory passed them. And it's because of the fact that, Oh, by the way, you know, Coach Shashevsky, Mike Shashevsky's won five national championships. He can be great in the regular season. He can be great in the postseason. John Calipari, this is his seventh Sweet 16 since he got to Kentucky. He's been a six Elite Eights, maybe a seventh this year. Um, you know, Bill Self, for all the flack that that guy gets, um, you know, they make it usually to the second weekend. I mean, this is the third year in a row he's made it to the second weekend. He's made it, I think, uh, six out of the last ten years to the Elite Eight, something crazy like that. And so, to me, I, I'm just saying, it's like, I just think that we've gotten to a point now where no one will really criticize Tony Bennett. And I feel like I'm on an island going crazy over here, like, wait a second now, like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I like I just think it's okay to criticize him and it's okay to say what I said and I'm saying it cuz I believe it, but like part of coaching is coaching. So coach your guys and I don't want to watch them. I don't want I just don't want to watch them run 28 seconds off the shot clock, you know, when they're down by 12 in a game that's literally going to be historic if they lose. Right. I I do agree with what you're saying. I, I agree with that second half. I couldn't understand. You hate what. me, Kevin. You, no, you no, no, totally no. disagree. No, no I, I just hate the people that – and it's like what you started off with. If you want to say I didn't trust Virginia and I had them losing early, okay, that's one thing. But then all of a sudden now people are like, oh, I knew they stunk. Like they almost like they foresaw this loss coming. And you just – no one saw that. Can I say one thing though really quick? Though? Yeah. I, I think it's a bad sign that we all – like if we as a collective group of fans and who's your team, Kevin? Are you a UVA fan? Is this why you're defending? No, your I, I'm an Arkansas, Arkansas guy, so we'll get we'll talk about oh, that disappointment. We're pink, baby. Let's go. <laughs> All right. So my whole thing is this: I think it's a bad sign that we um we could have all like if I told you if I said Kevin, Virginia is going to lose at some point in the NCAA tournament this year. Tell me how the loss happens. Now I could. Pick any team, Duke, Kentucky, Michigan State, Syracuse, Xavier, whoever. 
there's no real way to know, right? Like right. Michigan State lost because they ran into a good zone. You know, Duke may lose in a million different ways. They may win the national championship. We don't know. We all could have predicted what happened against UMBC. It, the only the only thing that was like weird about it was that it was an actual one seed against a 16 seed. That was literally the only thing that was weird about it. Other than that, it was exactly to script. And I think that that speaks to kind of the point that I've been making, which is it is entirely too predictable. We all wait for that game to happen, whether it's the first round, second round, elite eight, whatever. And I just think it's time where like Tony Bennett's really got to look in the mirror and either he's got to tweak his philosophy. He's got to tweak his recruiting philosophy, whatever it is. But I just think that we like, like I just think that we have to hold him accountable for the fact that it was all too predictable. The only thing that wasn't predictable was that it would be in the first round. That, that is a good point. If you would have, if you would have told me before the tournament, Tell me how Virginia loses when they lose. It's exactly how it would be. Exactly how they lost. That's a good point. Well, I, it's a great point. That's all I do is make great points. Don't you, <laughs> Kevin? Check is it this out. Because I'm amazing. I make great points. That's all I do. Well, all right. Well, then let's get no, let's get into some and that staying in that same area. I don't want to stick with them too long because they're just a disappointment. But great coaching and what John Calipari's done. But. Sean Miller, two years in a row now. Alonzo Trier, who's going to be a second-round NBA pick probably. Two years in a row, he's shot more shots than a top-five lottery pick seven-footer on his team. And they flamed out in the NCAA tournament. What's going on? Well, first of all, and by the way, I think that's a great point. Like We all just label Sean Miller a choker. He's been a three elite eight since he's been in Arizona. I mean, you know, and, uh, it, you know, and, and we're talking about him as a choker but not tony bennett he's been one elite eight but anyways good point this yeah with this particular team i i did think that you know uh, it's interesting right like i was talking to somebody about this over the weekend is i do think that look there's no no denying that they quit but i also think that everything that happened this year i think it just wore on them i really do um you know you think about everything back to the fbi pro back in september then you have an injury to Raleigh Alkins. Then you have the Alonzo Trier, you know, a PED situation right. where he's gone for two games. Then you have the DeAndre Ayn thing. You just it's just one thing after the other after the other. And I just think it caught up with him. I really do. Now I, I also think it's kind of what you said is I think that, you know, maybe a lot of people, myself certainly included, bought a little bit too much into them. But I also just think that I just think they got worn out by the end of the year, man. I just think it's a lot of pressure for kids to be dealing with for six, eight months. You know, obviously as you know, Kevin, you know, when you get to the NCAA tournament, there's more media there, there's more questions there. You know, I mean, look, I was in the San Diego regional and, you know, the number of questions about West Virginia and Marshall about you know there's only so many ways you can ask bob huggins about why or why do west virginia and marshall not play every year before he kind of gets annoyed and it's the same with these 18 year old kids so i think part of it was i think it was a combination of bad coaching because they just one weren't prepared but two um you know didn't feed the single best player in college basketball and deandre ayton um, but two, I think part of it was, I think they were just exhausted from this season. And I, I do think that there was the thing of once they fell down, I don't think that they had the mental energy to get back into it. They did look like a team once they got down by about 15 or 20, I think it was like, man, I think Aiton and some of the other guys are just like, man, this has been, maybe you're, you're right. It seemed like they quit, you know, it seemed like no, I agree. whatever it was happened, they, the taxing season. Aiton looked like he was just ready to get out of all this drama and get to the NBA, and it just that I, I bought too into, too much into the hype, and I saw 
what I Aiden could do. In, the, in that Pac-12 tournament, I saw him just dominate. Shaq-like domination where he was just bigger, stronger, more athletic than everybody he was playing. And so I bought in. But to get on some amazing coaching, what Calipari's done through this year where they went – I thought it was interesting. And tell me if you know – you might know something else or and can prove me wrong, but it seems like at the at, during the middle of that year when they went, what, like a five- or four-game losing streak, it seemed like at that point – the coach just said, you know what, guys, y'all don't want to buy into my system. I'm going to let y'all do it y'all's way. And it stunk. And then they, they came back to coach and realized maybe he's not so dumb. And now look at what they're doing. Shea Gildas-Alexander is amazing. At 6'6", at point guard, he is running the show beautifully since the SEC tournament. Well, I think a couple things. One, I never really bought into the idea that they were in that much trouble for the simple reason that, you know, if you look at that team and the four, they did have a four game losing streak, but, and I'm trying to remember this off the top of my head. I believe the four losses were to at Missouri, Tennessee, at Texas A&M, at Auburn. What do all those teams have in common, Kevin? They're all NCAA tournament teams. (laughs) And this this was my argument when Kentucky was struggling. I just said I just think you know in the past we've we've all seen these young Calipari teams, but there's been that two three four game stretch in the SEC, and you know this if you're an Arkansas fan. There's there's two three four games where all of a sudden you play three lousy teams, and you can kind of play bad basketball and get away with it and kind of figure things out. And they're just really in the SEC this year. There just wasn't that stretch on the schedule, and so to me, I think that that was it more than anything i also think the thing with calipari or with kentucky this year specifically let's remember jared vanderbilt missed the first you know 15 20 games of the season he comes back he's not himself for about six or seven games then he's awesome for six or seven games then he gets hurt again quad green dealt with all sorts of injuries uh earlier in the year he's actually you know more healthy now than he's been uh than he was early in the season um and so you're dealing with injuries, you're dealing with roster stuff. And here's another thing with Calipari, which I, I said throughout the year, and I, I think people just don't want to hear excuses for Calipari because he recruits so well. And I was like, oh, you know, this is this is what you get when you have a roster full of freshmen. But it's like, you know, there were guys on that team that just every night you were getting something different from them, right? And so, like, you know, P.J. Washington for like a uh, – three or four week stretch was just terrible. Like you could, you couldn't play him. He like, he wasn't good. Hamadou Diallo was the same way. He's getting better now, but he wasn't good for a stretch. And so, you know, I think that Calipari has to get credit because I mean, he literally was going into games for uh, a long stretch where he just, not only did he not have his full complement of players, but he didn't even know what he was going to get from guys. And obviously no player is the exact same player every single night. But I mean, you're talking massive, peaks and valleys i mean there was one game earlier in the year where nick richards had 16 points and 16 rebounds he said oh my god this kid's unbelievable and then oh by the way you know the next night he has like zero and four you know and so i just think what cal has done this year i i truly believe and i've said this and you know i wrote a book about kentucky a few years ago so anytime i compliment calipari people <laughs> think that i'm just you know i'm a kentucky homer here's the truth by the way kevin for the record i went to uconn the only team i give a shit about is uconn sorry if i can't swear on this podcast you're good. but you're good no the, the only team i care about is uconn i think we have a new coach i think we're in good shape but you know, I don't like. It doesn't like. I don't sleep better at night when Kentucky wins. I don't like lose sleep when Kentucky loses, and so. 
But I truly believe this was his best coaching job for that exact reason. Now, if you want to argue that this year that the draw is opened up and that you that he should go to whatever it is, the Elite Eight or the Final Four, win national, whatever, whatever you feel is fine. But I feel like from November 1st or October 15th or whenever the season started until now, when we're recording on Monday night, he's done an unbelievable job getting these guys ready and getting these guys to get better. And by the way, one one other thing really quick, I'm rambling now. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, like you said, was awesome. And I think he's been a real catalyst for that team. Behind the scenes, he was the kind of guy that was showing up to the facility early, getting in extra shots, extra film. And I think it's rubbed off on those those guys as well. Well, and that's what, yeah, with, with looking at how this bracket's turning out, he should, it looks like he should make an easy run to the Elite Eight and maybe Final Four. And it's never easy in tournament, but I think just credit. And it's like what you mentioned before, the way that team has grown over the course of the year has been amazing. It seems like they've really found themselves with Gildas Alexander's average since the SEC tournament. I got it down that he's averaging 22 points, seven assists and six rebounds on 57% shooting. And then they've learned, they've learned that he's going to run the show. Knox is just going to find, look for shots, and then they're going to spot up with Diallo and Gabriel and Green, and they're going to—they just—they've all learned what they do well, and Calipari has learned what that team does well. And when a team, when a team knows, everyone knows their role and plays it. It—that's when they start succeed, succeeding in March. And I like Kentucky a lot moving forward. Yeah, well, and I think the other thing too is obviously the draw is very manageable. They're going to get uh, who they get Kansas State this weekend. I mean. That's a team, honestly, they should beat by 20. I don't know if they will, but they should. Um, I'm shocked Kansas and State's then, still in it. That UMBC game was atrocious to watch. Their second <laughs> game. I was in uh, San Diego at the regional, so I didn't get to watch it very closely. But it looked just as bad as you're describing it, Kevin. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I'll tell you, you know, I live on the West Coast. This Nevada team's for real. I mean, the Martin Twins are... I think they'll get a shot at the NBA. I don't know if they're NBA caliber guys or not. They're both a little bit injury prone, so that's kind of concerning. But, like, they have pros on that team. And, and you know, it's funny because people are always asking me, you know, why have all these upsets happened? It's, it's because, you know, the world that we live in, you know, kids don't want to sit on the bench for two, three, four years. So you look at a team like Nevada – you know, Kendall Stevens, who's in their starting lineup, began his career at Purdue. The Martin Twins began their careers at NC State. Jordan Caroline could play for any co- any team in the country. And so I do think that Nevada team is going to give Kentucky trouble if the seeds hold up. If Nevada wins and Kentucky wins, I think that's going to make for, as weird as it sounds, a compelling Elite Eight matchup if they get there. But yeah, no, I, I do think that it's totally fair to, uh, to, to say that they should be expected now to make it out of the region. I mean, just even even if you take out the brand name of Kentucky, they're the highest seed left in the region. Well, and that's what I want to get to. I, my next topic I want to get to is Nevada because I liked them coming into the tournament because I'd watched uh, like two or three games and really, I honestly didn't under, didn't realize the Martin twins were twins. I just when I caught, it, I was like, man, this Martin cat is everywhere. He's amazing. <laughs> and then when I realized they're twins, like in the conference tournament, I was like, okay, that makes more sense that this is sure. two human beings. But I love that team with with the Martin twins. They can they can really score, and there's two guys that are big. They can put the ball on the floor a little, spread you out, shoot. And then with Hall, Caroline, and Stevens, all those long six seven wings. And then what I did not know and 
the reason the reason I picked him for an upset, which I don't want to talk about my bracket too long because it's not not looking pretty. But at least the Nevada pick worked out because I I was listening to the Aaron Torres podcast and when you can you just tell the story about Eric Musselman and why you felt like he could have success in a tournament style setting? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a few things. You know, I think the biggest reason is, and I think this is the question that or the point you're getting at, Kevin. You know, he is a guy. He has coached at literally I think every level of basketball from high school up. I don't know if he's coached in high school, but he coached in the NBA. He coached in the CBA. He coached in the NBDL. And so, you know, a couple things, one, um, working specifically in the CBA and the NBDL and you're in college, so you might not even remember the CBA, but that was like the NBDL before the NBDL, um, which is now the G league, obviously. Right. Um, you know, that those leagues, it, you're constantly, your roster's just changing every single day. And so you never know, you know, you, you go to war with these seven or eight guys, and then one guy might get called up to the league, and you never know what's going to happen. And so you're always adjusting, you're always changing. And so there's a great story about Eric Musselman when he was coaching in the uh, CBA. He, uh, they're in the playoffs, and they're flying to wherever they're supposed to play. And he literally had three players, his three best players were called up mid-flight from the team so they they take off he's got his full team they land three of his players get called up to the nba they got to take off to the to the location in the game without them and so you know like if you think that guy is going to be afraid of oh my guy twisted an ankle what do i do what do i you know or you know and the thing with nevada that's so incredible is this they're down to seven scholarship players right now they have Yeah, check this out. Seven scholarship players. Their starting point guard, Lindsey Drew, Torres Achilles. How about this? They had to bring over two players from the football team just so they could run a full practice. They don't have bodies. Like they don't have enough bodies. They're just have, they just they just need breathing bodies out there to practice. Exactly. They they couldn't run. They literally couldn't run five on five. They didn't have enough guys. They had to they had to bring over bodies. But so. What I love about Muss is he's just the kind of guy that he's just kind of a, you know, we use the term in football a lot is like next man up. Like he's just kind of like, okay, cool. That's okay. That guy's out. Let's get the next guy in. All right, fine. You know, that guy, you know, and like, and the other thing too is he, because of his professional background, he's, he's fine to prepare on short rest. I mean, it's funny because, you know, all these coaches, they're, they're, they're so, you know, they, they, they're used to having three, four, five days to prepare for a game. It's like you coach in the NBA, you coach in the NBDL, you know, you might play a game on Saturday night at 7 PM. It might end at 11. You know, you might get on the road at 11. You might have a, a, a 1 PM tip off the next day. You don't have 72 hours to get ready for a game. And I actually talked to Muscle a little bit about this earlier in the season. He did say that he believed that that background helped him out a little bit. He's like, you know, I don't got time. You know, I don't got time to, I don't need 48 hours to get my team ready. You know, give me like six hours and I'm fine. And so, um, you know, look, I, 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 I think that, first of all, you know, shout out to you because your and I brackets are both uh, in shatter in, in, in flames right now, except for Nevada. But I just thought that the matchups worked out really well for him. I thought if they could get by Texas, that on a short turnaround, Mick Cronin, who's been in college, who only plays one way, you and know, that was another yeah. Yeah, I just thought that they would be able to take advantage of it. Now, I didn't see them uh, falling down by 22 or coming back from a 22-point deficit, but I just like Nevada, and obviously they have become one of the really cool stories of this tournament so far. 
Yeah, and we'll get off. We'll move on from the South here. Maybe, you know, as we're talking and as I'm kind of forming some thoughts, I guess maybe I was a little naive to Tony Bennett because I see Mick Cronin as the same way we describe Tony Bennett as a guy who he even mentioned in his press conference how how many how many years did it take us to get to so many losses in the regular season and he brought up the combined yep. losses of Indiana. Well, I don't need you to tell me what you do in the regular season. And if you'd have told me coming to the year Mick Cronin's going to lose because he can't score enough points, I'd have told you, yeah, okay, that's going to happen. Second, third round. Well, it was really funny, too, because I was just doing another interview before I got on with you, and uh, my buddy who was hosting kind of brought up the point of he said that you know Mick Cronin looked really tight. And I do think that Mick Cronin kind of in his head – was like, I have to win this game, not for these kids, but for me, for my narrative, because my narrative is kind of, I can't get out of the first weekend. And I do think that realistically, he did get tight when things started not going his way in the second half. And I'm not saying that that's the only reason that they lost. And and it's, again, it's what I said about Tony Bennett. It's not to say that, that Mick Cronin isn't a great coach. They had a great season at Cincinnati. I mean, they, uh, you know, they, they warranted what they did in the regular season was deserving of that two seed. But it's like, yeah, no, I'm with you, man. It's like, you know, I, I, I do think that that played into what happened with him the other day with Cincinnati. Is like, I do think that he as a coach got tight, not only his players sometimes your players can feed off that energy too but i do think that he got tight because i think he was kind of looking around like i can't lose again in the second round i'm gonna get crushed by guys like aaron torres aaron torres is gonna go on <laughs> catch the podcast and crush me if i lose this game which is exactly what we're doing right now all right <laughs> so moving on to the west i i want to just touch on because i didn't know who this guy was until the first round but mike dom for the south dakota state that that guy can get buckets. Oh yeah, he, he was impressive. He kind of reminded me of the guy. I, I put I said this on Twitter, but he reminded me of the person on that an intramural basketball that you just hate because you don't see why he's so good, but he just continually is going to oh, yeah. get in the right position. He's going to hit every open shot he gets. He's just going to put thirty on you. There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, I don't cover as much NBA draft as I used to years ago when I worked at Fox, but everyone tells me that he's a draftable guy. Now, you know, can he, will he be a first round or second round or I don't know. But, you know, here's the thing is I think he was the second leading scorer coming in the regular season that played in the NCAA tournament. Only Trey Young scored more points and, you know, or averaged more during the regular season. But if you look at his stat lines, I mean, he put up like 24 against Kansas. He put up 31 or something like that against Colorado. I mean, it wasn't like he was doing it against all these lousy teams i mean he did it against some real big time teams and so yeah no that kid's really special what'll be interesting about him is that he is a fourth year junior so he, he is transfer, by right he can transfer he says that he can't envision himself playing at any other college and at this point i don't really even know that he needs to i mean look he's made two straight ncaa tournaments at south dakota state um you know, and, and the NBA people know about him at this point. So I don't know that it really benefits him unless he just feels like he needs to practice against pros every day and he wants to go to, you know, a Kansas or a Michigan State or somewhere like that. But yeah, no, I, it'll be interesting. I mean, I think he's got a tough choice as far as does he want to, um, you know, stay for another year? Does he want to go pro? 
again, as you just alluded to, Kevin, the transfer is on the table. As best I understand it, he wouldn't have to sit out, but I don't get the sense that that's really in the cards for him. I think it'll either be pro or come back to South Dakota State for another year. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask if you knew that because I had heard that he was he could uh, be eligible for a grad transfer, which would mean you wouldn't have to sit out a year. And that, that guy, there's programs all around the nation that would take him in a heartbeat. And his oh, matchup, yeah. to go to talk about what you're saying about pro, he was going up with Ohio State with Bates Diop. That was a heck of a matchup to watch. Both those guys were playing great. That was a fun game. It was really good to watch. And then to move on to Gonzaga, who oh, I love Gonzaga, and I had them going far in the tournament to the Final Four. And I already, I already had that initial thought, and then y'all backed it up when I was listening to you again on the Aaron Torres podcast. And There you go. I just – has has that turned into a little bit of a blue blood, blue blood? Because they go up against Ohio State, and it would have been shocking if Ohio State players, would have won. Right? Yeah, they were better. They were better players. As Ohio State, you felt like you were playing against a better program. Yeah, I, and you know it's funny because obviously, like I've spent a lot of time kind of criticizing Tony Bennett and criticizing Mick Cronin, and I do think that we're now at a point where we probably don't give Mark Few enough credit for what he's done um, as a as a tournament coach. Um, you know, I, I think that um, you know, first of all, four straight Sweet Sixteens. By the way, that's something that Kentucky can't say, that Duke can't say, that that Michigan State certainly can't say, uh, North Carolina can't say after losing yesterday. So yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean. I, you know, it's funny because, uh, you know, I'm old enough to remember when they were literally the the 15 seed or whatever they were, 14 seed. I don't remember what they were exactly that pulled off the first big upset and they were the darling. And now you look at them and it's funny because they have pros. I mean, Rui Hachimura is going to play in the NBA. Killian Tilly is going to play in the NBA. Jonathan Williams is probably going to get a shot at the NBA. Their guards are could play at any Pac-12 school. You know, I know some of the kids that they're recruiting in the, this 2018 class. I mean, they're, they're kids that could go to any Pac-12 school. And so, you know, Blue Blood has kind of a historical connotation to it. But also, I do think that we're now at a point where we have to say, like, I think they're the most successful program, the most consistently pro, most consistently successful program on the West Coast. And so I do think, yeah, no, they are every bit that program that you kind of sit there and say, like, okay, like, let's stop calling them cute, cuddly Gonzaga. And oh, by the way, let's not forget, they made the national championship last year and they lost like four guys. Like Zach Collins this is a is whole not new team. To- yeah, Zach Collins was not supposed to be a one and done. They thought he was going to be back for two, three years when they recruited him. He he's gone. Nigel Williams Goss is gone. Uh, Karnowski is gone, and so it's incredible. And by the way, Mark Few's got a couple transfers sitting out next year. You know, the kid Norvell is going to come into his own. So they got the next wave ready to go when this wave leaves too. And and it, 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 I'm with you. It's it's incredible how much this program has evolved over the last six, seven, eight years. It's funny the way the way Mark Few's just. Uh, reloaded and retooled and he's right back in it but the way I kind of see them as where they've really officially made it and established themselves as their own is now in the tournament I look at it like this so my mom doesn't follow it she fills out a bracket like everyone else does and she doesn't follow a lick of college basketball she has Arkansas probably winning the championship I'm sure good for her I did too no I didn't so, but she's she would even know like she'll see Gonzaga and go, ooh, Gonzaga, that's a good team. I'm going to go ahead and pick them just like yep. she would with North Carolina and Dukes and Kansas's, and that's totally. what tells me Mark Few has made that program into a legitimate program. 
No, totally agree. I totally agree. And that's and that's really cool because it wasn't that long ago, like literally a year or two ago, where people were saying, yeah, well, they do fine in the regular season, but they can't win in the tournament. I think now people are realizing, okay, they got those guys. They are capable of winning in the tournament too. And then, so to move on to the, the bottom of that bracket where we were looking, I was excited to see, and that's what I've learned with this bracket and I've mentioned a few times is when it first came out on Sunday, all these different, I looked at it and looked at, man, I can't wait for this matchup in the round of 32 and this matchup in the Sweet 16, and none of those are happening. And one of them was, uh, of course, I, I was ready to see Kentucky-Arizona. That's not happening. But in the bottom of this, I wanted to see a Michigan-North Carolina. It kind of had that bot. There was a rematch from earlier this year. It was a rematch from the, the Fab Five days. I mean, it was it was going to be fun. And Texas A&M, which I told my buddy, asked me, he's an a and big A&M fan, and he was like, are we good? I haven't really watched him much. And I told him, I wouldn't put money on you because they're inconsistent. But when they when their yep. guys play like they can play, they got lottery picks all over the court. And man, did they ever on Sunday? Yeah, I saw A and M maybe play their best game all year. They played at USC early in the year, and they just boat raced them. And USC was ranked in the top twenty-five at that point, and and A and M was probably ranked in the top ten at that point, they, or they, they were got up to certainly four at one point. Mm-hmm. And I'm with you. And you know the thing that's crazy about A and M, people forget, is that they lost um, a couple guys throughout the year. Dwayne Wilson got hurt with an injury. Um, Someone got suspended. You know, uh, right? Yeah, one kid got suspended. One kid got thrown off the team. And so this isn't even the full complement of guys. But the one thing that they've never lost is those front court guys: Robert Williams, Tyler Davis, and DJ Hogue. And you know they're physical they're tough they're athletic and they are a matchup problem and north carolina by the way was the number one rebounding team in the country it's not like they're and small they got by any stretch on the boards by AM. exactly and so i'm with you in just the sense of like you know to predict what AM is going to do or how far they can ultimately go in this tournament i have no idea because i i really i don't know what AM team i'm going to get on any given night but it does seem like getting away from college station was good for them they seem to be refocused it may only be you know for these next couple weeks but there's no listen there's no team in in um in, in L.A. where I'll be this weekend that they can't physically match up with. I think Gonzaga would be a great matchup in the front court. They're obviously going to play Michigan on Thursday night. But, yeah, they can hang. Like, Michigan, I know that Michigan won the Big Ten Championship, but athletically there's no reason that A&M can't play with them. I'm with you. I wouldn't bet on them. But they're, they're, they're a really legitimate team that, look, and by the way, that's the, why they were ranked in the top 20 in the preseason. That's why they were ranked, uh, you know, as you said, as high as number three, four, five in the country, whatever it was in December. They, like, they got guys, and, and they can play. So I'm excited to see that. Mo Wagner with Robert Williams. That's gonna, their front court matchup is going to be fun. And that, like we said, we won't harp on it too much. But I could see A&M could really make a run to the Final Four just because they got guys. And the tournament comes down to do you got guys and will they show up? And if they show up, they can play with anyone in the West. So we'll see. A matchup I'm excited to see in the in the East region is that West Virginia-Villanova matchup. Because to me, the way, the, the way I've seen the full tournament is it seems like it's Villanova, you have Duke, and those are your two – favorites to still make the championship but Villanova West Virginia is going to be fun Javon Javon Carter is 
if he's not the best two-way guard, he's right there in the discussion for that. What are your thoughts going into that game? Yeah, I um I'm with you is that so I saw West Virginia in person twice over the weekend and I I don't know how anybody ever scores on them. Like I, I literally, I was blown away. And it's funny because, you know, we use this analogy a lot in sports, but I think it's fair with West Virginia is like those old, um, you know, Legion of boom, uh, Seahawks defensive. Like they, they always used to say about the Seahawks, like they'll commit a penalty on every play and they leave it up to the refs to decide which ones are actually going to call. And if you watch that West Virginia team, that's basically what they do. They just follow the sh- – I mean, they're just so physical on every play, and every play elbows are flying. And it was funny because I was at the game on Sunday night when they beat up on Marshall, and it was like – at a certain point, I think the refs just didn't know what to do. I mean, because it, – and it, it got the other way too where West Virginia would come down with a rebound and Marshall would throw a, an elbow to one of their guys' ribs and, you know, all of a sudden, like, the refs are looking around like, you know, and they're not calling it on West Virginia either. And so I do think that's going to be a really good game. I actually did pick West Virginia to win that game in my bracket. Same. I still feel good. I think, I think you know, Villanova looks awesome and to their credit, they're playing really well. But, you know, I, I do think that, like, it, until you see that style, you can't simulate it. And it's funny we just talked Gonzaga because Gonzaga in the Sweet 16 last year played West Virginia. And it was one of those games where within a couple minutes you could see like Gonzaga just – you could tell they just wanted no part of what they were about to get. Um, they ended up surviving somehow and they made it obviously to the Final Four. But, you know um, – but but I just think Villanova, that first time seeing it, I just think it's going to be a really, really, really tough adjustment for them. And I'm curious to see how things kind of end up uh, in that game. And I think it's a game that West Virginia can absolutely win. I couldn't agree more. All right, Aaron, I wanted to get with you real quick before we go. I wanted to move on to the Midwest region. And mainly, I want to get your take on that abysmal. We talked about coaches and out coaching and not coaching well. What what happened to Tom Mizzo and Michigan State where they fired up 37 threes and just looked lost against that 2-3 zone? Yeah, I'm with you, uh, Kevin. You know, and, and I swear I'm not usually this critical of guys, but I do think that it is heightened uh, this time of year. You kind of see the strengths and weaknesses of certain guys. And, and the simple truth is that Tom Izzo is now one in five against Bayheim all time, all time. And it's not just that he lost sat, uh, Sunday and it's not even just that he lost Sunday as the higher seed. The incredible thing was just what you said, Kevin, how unprepared, uh, he was for that or how unprepared Michigan state appeared to be for that game. I mean, the one thing we all know when you go up against Syracuse, you better be ready for that two, three zone. And that was my big takeaway. It, it wasn't even just that, you know, Syracuse was the better team. Syracuse scored like 56 points. I mean, this game was so winnable for Michigan State, and they just looked totally perplexed, totally lost on what to do in that 2-3 zone. I mean, you just nailed it, 37 three-pointers. And so many of them were forced. So many of them were unnecessary. I mean, whether it was early in the game, late in the game, there were times where they fell down three and they felt the need to force one up, or they were down three late and they could have gone for two it was just a really 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 disappointing effort overall for michigan state you know at the end of the day only one 
one team is going to end up, uh, you know, not and only one team is is going to end their season not disappointed and as the national champion. Um, but I think that Michigan State, I, I, I think Michigan State's going to look at that one for a long time because I don't think that they feel like they played their best game, which is something that I think a lot of teams can't say uh, coming out of this first weekend, even the teams that have lost. Well, and that's the thing. I've been I've been the guy banging the drum for Tom Izzo, trying to defend his name that he's because in recent years he's he's been a letdown, and Michigan State's let us down. And I've been trying to say that no, he's a good coach, and go look at all of his past. But now that's three years in a row that they've been out after the first weekend, and to like you said, you know what Syracuse is going to do, and to come in and Syracuse shot one for eight from three, so it's not like they got hot. And then Michigan State out-rebounded them by 20-plus rebounds and had 29 wow. offensive rebounds. 29. I didn't even know that. I didn't was, even know that. The total was 51-30 to 30 on rebounds. So, I mean, Michigan Sheesh. State had the had the chance. And then Izzo benched Jaron Jackson late and brought in – I understood his thought process. He brought in a senior that he thought would be – because, like, what you have to do to stop the 2-3 or attack the 2-3 is have that high-post player. But it just seems like so many teams – get shocked by it and don't know how to def- how to score on it and I just don't understand Michigan State and Tom Izzo knew what they were going to see and still acted like it was a complete surprise and that was a huge letdown to me and now it looks like that bracket it was already Duke's bracket to win in my eyes before the tournament started but now even more so they just if Kansas can get it get it right I think that'll be a fun game but I don't I'm not expecting anything now that teams just keep blowing leads and blowing games that I feel like they should win. Yeah, yeah, you know, I I um uh I agree and I think Michigan State even though Michigan State lost to Duke earlier in this year earlier this year in a game that Marvin Bagley barely played in, um I do think that Michigan State would have given Duke some trouble, but obviously that's something we'll never know. And you know, the one thing that I will say, I'm done at this point questioning um, Jim Beheim in the NCAA tournament. For some reason, he just has that, um, you know, that magic, that secret sauce, that magic elixir, you know. And I'm not saying that that Syracuse is going to win, but I think a lot of people are kind of looking at the fact that Duke just beat Syracuse a couple weeks ago at Cameron Indoor Arena. And I'll tell you, on a neutral court in Omaha, that's a lot different than playing, uh, you know, in Cameron Indoor Arena in front of, you know, 10,000 or however many of it uh, fans there are. So, I think Duke wins. I think it sets up an interesting potential uh, Elite Eight matchup with Kansas. Um, but I'll tell you, man, yeah, it does feel like this draw has opened up for Duke. I know we talked about it a little bit earlier with Kentucky and John Calipari, uh, but the, the the draw is much more manageable uh, for the Blue Devils as they get set to head to Omaha. Yeah, you know, we didn't get – the matchup between the two Hall of Famers we thought in Izzo and, yeah. and Coach K, but we still get oh, got it. the two winningest coaches of all time are about to go off against each other for the first time in tournament history. So, yeah, no, it's I mean, look, and you know, I, you know, obviously, look, I went to UConn, so it's in my blood to not like Syracuse, but I've got a newfound <laughs> respect for Jim Beheim. No, I'm serious, like, you know, like whatever it is, you know, they're not great in the regular season. And I, I don't know what goes on behind the scenes in that program, why he can't get to these kids uh, during the regular season. But once the tournament starts, they're able to flip a switch, man. And, you know, it's funny because 
I really thought they were going to beat Arizona State in that early, you know, first four game. And then I kind of just penciled in TCU as the team to beat them. And it's very clear that on short notice, on quick turnaround, whatever it is, it is very, very, very hard to prepare for this team. And there's something that Jim Beheim is doing right as well. Now, as we've both said, it's not like they played their best game, but whatever. You know, they say defense wins championships, maybe not as much in basketball as in other sports. But man, I'll tell you, there's just something about that guy that he he just seems to figure things out and and you know to his credit we've spent a lot of time talking about coaching on this this podcast which isn't generally something I, I normally talk about but you know I mean you look at him through the years and he's been able to tweak what he does based on the scenario you know as I, I think I said it earlier I can't even remember it was so long ago but you know that year that they came they had that massive comeback against Virginia in the Elite Eight they got out of the 2-3 zone and went to the press you know and so it's yep. just you know whatever for whatever reason it just he seems like he does have uh, you know he's able to kind of pull the right strings when it comes to the NCAA tournament they're in another Sweet 16. Since you brought up UConn, i got to ask you a UConn question right before you go. But by the way, you can catch Aaron on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, or you're writing too for The Athletic, is that right? Correct, yes. I um, covered the West Regional this weekend. I'll be in L.A. for the Staples Center for the two games. Oh, by the way, you can also hear me on Fox Sports Radio. I'll be hosting Fox Sports Radio nationally, 8 to 10 Eastern, or 8 to 10 Pacific. I guess it would be 11 to 1 a.m. Eastern Saturday night post-game coverage. Come to Fox Sports Radio. I'm telling you, check them out. I, my bracket's been a, a shit show, but a few of the ones I'm bragging about, I did catch a few hints from the, the pod. There so, you go. So on, on UConn, I've heard a few things. I've heard Hurley's interested, and I've even heard Calhoun, and I know my dad at one point during the Kimba and Napier run, he happened to buy UConn in a, a Calcutta, and they won him a bunch of money. So what – What's is Calhoun maybe coming back for a year or two? My understanding of the situation is this is that I ultimately think it's going to be Danny Hurley. The the thing with UConn is UConn because they're not in a Power Five conference anymore. The AAC, by the way, is better than people give it credit for. They had three teams in the tournament this year. Houston almost made the Sweet Sixteen. So the the league isn't as bad as people make it out to be. But the money that they're bringing in just isn't what a Power Five conference is. And when you keep in mind that they're probably going to have to pay Kevin Ollie a ten million dollar buyout, you know this isn't like your Arkansas Razorbacks there, Kevin, that can just pay Brett Bielema eleven million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> to walk away or whatever it was uh you know UConn we unfortunately uh, at UConn don't have that kind of money so I think if it's a total apples to apples thing I think Danny Hurley ends up at UConn but I think the ultimate question is if Pitt is able to come up with more money you know uh, you know UConn just can't offer that much and so I, I don't know what UConn's cap is but the one thing I do know is they can't get into a bidding war um and as far as Calhoun is concerned I'll be honest you know I one I think think if, if UConn can't get Danny Hurley and, and here's the sad reality of college basketball nowadays is that ADs are so much more concerned about quote unquote winning the press conference than they are picking the right candidate and that's not to say that Jim Calhoun would be a bad candidate I actually would love to see him come back and I know that there's some assistant coaches that would be willing to work for him if he did come back but um you know, you look at the UConn situation, you know, it's funny because everybody mentions all these names. Oh, Bruce Pearlie's from the Northeast. You can't try and fire. And, and so for people who don't know, Kevin Ollie, they're going to owe him this buyout, but they're trying to fire him with cause. Right. Well, you can't fire a guy with cause and then hire a guy who's literally being probed by the FBI. Um, you know, <laughs> it doesn't work like, that way. 
It doesn't work that way. And I see so many national analysts, experts, whatever, say that. It makes no sense. It, it doesn't only make no sense. It's literally you can't do it because then you're going to owe Kevin Ollie $10 million. So, um, you know, so – uh, so Bruce Pearl's out. Frank Martin, I was told, was a candidate for a minute, but they don't want anything to do with him. He 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 coached in uh, Boston for a while, uh, you know, in his younger days, and they thought there was maybe a tie there, but I don't think they want anything to do with Frank Martin. Um, and so if they don't get Danny Hurley, it's what I said a minute ago. I don't think there's a name out there where they can quote unquote win the press conference. There's maybe a mid-major guy out there, whatever. I don't think they can win the press conference. And I really think if, if Pitt just is able to offer a lot more money and Danny Hurley decides that's the place for him, I think Jim Calhoun, I think it's going to be really hard to say no to Jim Calhoun um, because he's, you know, the thing is, you know, we just spent time talking about Coach K, uh, Jim Beheim. He's their same age. You know, people are like, oh, how can you bring him back? He's so old. He's basically, I think, a year older than Jim Beheim. Um, he's got assistants who are willing to work for him, high-level assistants. And let's be honest, the other thing is he'll work cheap. You know, I mean, he's not in it for the money. He's not trying to get life-changing money like a lot of these guys are. Um, and so it'll be interesting. I, I really, I don't have a, a great feel for where Danny Hurley's head is at. Like I said, my hunch is that he wants UConn. But if Pitt offers them, you know, three million a year, and UConn can only go one five or two or whatever, you know, sometimes you gotta, you know, you gotta do what's best for your family, and financially, it might make sense for Pitt. So I think it'll be interesting. Um, if you're asking me to like go to Vegas and bet my money, I would venture, I would, I would bet on Hurley being the the head coach the first game of next season. Yeah, I'm interested to see what happens with that because UConn is from. I mean, I've always remembered them as being a powerhouse, and I, they're slow. They kind of been quiet for a little bit but i think they'll get back at some point well i mean they've got four national championships since 1999 i mean that's the most over that stretch more than north carolina more than kentucky more than uh nor you know duke you name it and so yeah it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out with that with the tournament with everything man it's just it's a good time to be a college basketball fan that's for sure i agree so, Aaron, with that, I'll let you get out of here and keep putting out good content, man. And I, I hope to I hope to have you back on sometime. Absolutely, Kevin. Anytime you need me, keep my number. Uh, give me a call, man, okay? And with that, I want to say thanks to Aaron. Uh, if you want to follow Aaron, he's on Twitter, at Aaron Torres, and I'll have the link in the show notes. And follow his podcast, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Uh, if you stuck with us and listened to it, I hope you enjoyed it. It's been, it was fun for us to just nerd out on some college basketball and can't wait for the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight this weekend. So uh, appreciate you listening and uh, keep hitting the button, man. Just press play. Peace out.